This episode is sponsored by 511 Tactical, a company that I've used for around 14 years now and continue to use to this day. And they are offering you, the audience, a 15% discount, not on one purchase, but continuously. And I'll give you that code in just a moment. But I want to do a product showcase on their new Atlas sneakers and boots. So I'm a big believer in the fact that footwear can either improve our health or break down our health. And the Atlas sneaker actually has a new foam system that disperses the body weight, whether just the body weight, whether it's a a vest and a gun, whether it's EMS bags being carried. And on top of that, they're lightweight, despite having the same protection that's required in the tactical space. So I have a pair of Atlas sneakers myself, and I can attest they're extremely comfortable. On top of footwear, of course, 5.11 offers a gamut of uniforms and equipment, whether it's plate carriers, backpacks, flashlights, you name it, they have it. All you have to do is go to 5.11tactical.com and use the code SHIELD15. That's S-H-I-E-L-D-1-5 at 5.11tactical.com and you will save every time you purchase. And to learn more about the company 5.11 Tactical, You can listen to episode 338 of the Behind the Shield podcast with the CEO, Francisco Morales. Welcome to episode 435 of Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week it is my absolute honor to welcome back on the show, Jim Moss. Now, Jim has just written a new book, Firefighter Success, so we delve into his work yet again. His previous one was based more on health and wellness. This is more on leadership. But we still pull out a bunch of topics, so firefighter fitness, mental health, leadership, mentorship, and so many other areas. Before we get to that conversation, as I say every week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. Each five-star rating elevates this podcast, making it more visible for others to find. And this is a free library for you, the audience. So all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women's stories so I can get them to everyone else who needs to hear them. So with that being said, I introduce to you, Jim Moss. Enjoy. All right, so Jim, I want to start by saying thank you and welcome back to... Let me start that again. Thank you for what? I haven't even said anything yet. Jim, I want to start by saying welcome back to the Behind the Shield podcast and thank you for taking the time again. Well, I'm so glad to be here, brother. Uh, You know, it's good to be a returning guest and man, you've done amazing things with this podcast. Over 400 episodes. I'm, I'm quite impressed. Yeah, well, we'll talk about yours because uh, you know that's another new feature of your whole project, which is fantastic. Um, so the original one we did was episode 79 with Dan Kerrigan, your partner, um, and we talked a lot about the Firefighter Functional Fitness book. Um, so I actually want to start with you specifically because St. Louis isn't an area that gets a lot of you know uh, airtime when it comes to many areas. So I love asking people that are in different parts of the, the country what this last year or so has been through your eyes personally and through your department's eyes. Yeah. So, uh, it's been a crazy year as everybody can definitely attest, um, just from responses to, you know, COVID restrictions, lockdowns, you know, them growing bigger, growing lesser, uh, going back and forth with all that, uh, within our own St. Louis County, 
Um, but uh, yeah, call wise with my department, it, it's kind of done the same. It's ebbed and flowed and the different kind of responses we've had uh, has been uh, quite challenging for us. And uh, just being in the firehouse and having the increased restrictions that uh, we've had to do, uh, you know, you and I will both uh, agree that <laughs> as firefighters, our se- that's our second family. So, you know, when you're wearing masks or having to be contained or isolated and not eating together and all those different kinds of things that firefighters normally do, uh, it definitely uh, isolates you and, and uh, makes you feel a lot different. You know, it's not that normal firehouse atmosphere of joking around a lot and uh, having the camaraderie that we normally like. Uh, So that's been challenging, uh, but uh, nothing lasts forever. And so it's good that now uh, we're we're basically back to normal. We've been receiving our vaccines and everything. So blessed to be able to get those. And uh, yeah, so it's just like anything in life, you know, nothing lasts forever. Uh, when you're down in the valley, it's not, hopefully you're not down there too long. And when you're up high on the peaks, it, that won't last too long either. So it's all about balance and, and making sure that whatever you're going through, uh, you repeat to yourself as my mom told me when I first started having kids, you repeat to yourself, it's just a phase. It's just a phase. No matter what age your kid is, <laughs> no matter where you're at in life, it's just a phase. <laughs> Uh, that's brilliant. I found the phases last six months almost consistently when they were younger. So you yeah. can, you could just oh, map yeah. out. All right, by October we're going to be good. Just just dig in. <laughs> it doesn't matter if they're one month old and not sleeping, or if they're uh, six years old, or however old and throwing a tantrum, or if they're sixteen years old. It, it's all something different, new, and challenging. You're going to deal with. Absolutely. Well, coming from you know the fire service background and a, a, obviously a, a good understanding of health, fitness, you know, resilience. Um, what have you seen as far as your community in general, um, the, the severity of the cases in COVID? I mean, were you overwhelmed like we saw uh, for a short time in New York City or LA? So some of the hospitals were, um, and it depends on our the specific area we were in in St. Louis. Some of them were overwhelmed, uh, especially within this last second spike towards the end of 2020. Uh, going into 2020, they were a little overwhelmed. Um, and so that was hard, but now the census, uh, from the nurses I've talked to that I know have been on COVID floors and whatnot, it's come back down now. So it like, like anything, it ebbs and flows and hopefully we don't have to go back to uh, crazy, uh, overflowing census like it was before. So I think, I think with vaccines and I think with, uh, uh, and also a lot of people have already contracted, you know, they've gotten COVID. So, um, whether or not they're going to get again, that's another story, but, uh, I think that's uh, also helping, too, is between those two. And and then some people still, you know, uh, I know still some people who are isolating or quarantining pretty, pretty severely still. So um, more power to them if that's what they choose. So uh, as a first responder, we don't get that luxury. We don't get that choice. We got to be out there um, and, and serving our public. So, uh, yeah, uh, depending on the area, it, it, it had, we had some high spikes in, in censuses for hospitals and, and some were not that bad. So it, just like other, you know, microcosms or areas within the country, it, it varies greatly. Yeah. Well, and just, just, you know, out of uh, interest, the ones that were overwhelmed, were they, they tend to be the hospitals that were often busy regardless of any COVID outbreak, the ones where the medics will be holding the, the wall, as we say? 
Yeah, yeah, it was. It were, you know, those those hospitals that typically had a greater census anyway, the trauma hospitals, those bigger ones. Uh, those were the ones that uh, most people would go to anyway. Uh, but it seemed like, you know, even when they got overwhelmed, that over the overflowing of, of the patients would still go to the other hospitals, the surrounding hospitals. So everyone was impacted and affected. Yeah, brilliant. I mean, not brilliant, but it's, I think it's, it's important that we, <clears throat> you know, have the perspective through the people who are actually responding, the doctors and nurses, and that's not me anymore. You know, I'm sitting in my house in Ocala now. So it's a, it's a, it's a very important perspective to get, I think. So thank you. Um, yeah. Now, another thing, you know, the, a big part of not only your first book, but your, your current book, Firefighter Success, um, a lot of it is about motivation. And what I've seen just in, again, my little microcosm now with where I coach is, a lot of people that finally got some wind in their sails, finally got out there and was exercising and taking their nutrition seriously, th- those ones, you know, that, that kind of middle group kind of lost their wind again. And, and it's, it's going to take a while to get everyone to wind back up again. What have you seen just in, in not only your fire service, but with that kind of universe that you've built with your book and, and your work? Well, we definitely had more focus and emphasis on, on those home kind of workouts or workouts where people are not going to the gym as much. I know some people are still going to the gym and are, are started going back to gym and where they like to work out or their local CrossFit box or whatever. So, um, you know, for me, I'd honestly say that I'm, I've stopped going to the gym and I've been doing more of my workouts, uh, at the firehouse and at home. Um, and so I've definitely been doing a lot more body weight kind of stuff. Um, but, uh, I think honestly, if you talk to different people, some people have, like you said, lost the wind in their sails, lost the motivation, lost the discipline, uh, that they had before. Um, and, uh, some people are still able to keep strong through it all. So, um, as it pertains to firefighter functional fitness, we've definitely been posting more body weight, kind of low equipment to no equipment kind of workouts uh, out there. Um, and those seem to have had, uh, you know, pretty good impact and interest with people. Right. Well, what about the, uh, the mental health side? Because I know when we first spoke, you lost your father a few years ago yourself. Um, mm-hmm. you know, you were talking and I didn't even realize this was, was a thing that they weren't even allowing you guys to eat together at the table. So that's another huge negative in my opinion. What have right. you seen within, within your department and then out in, in the real world as well? Have you seen any kind of mental health, uh, impact from all this isolation? Oh, I mean, without a doubt. And, you know, you and I will be (laughs) the first to agree and admit that we as humans were made for connection. You know, we're not meant to be isolated from each other. We're meant to to be together, to support each other, to encourage each other. And so, uh, you know, personally, anecdotally, um, you know, I've had friends to where their kids are 10 years old and they've started a 10 year old has started talking about suicide or having suicidal thoughts or a way to harm themselves. Um, and unfortunately that's been someone who's taking their isolation, their quarantine to the utmost super seriously, um, and have had minimal contact with their own family members outside of their own, whatever sphere or whatever you want to call that. Um, so, and they've, that, that son, that, that child has had minimal contact with his own friends. So, uh, to me, I've got to be connected, um, you know, and, and these phone calls and, and podcasts and getting to see, you know, each other's face on FaceTime or Skype calls are, are great. Uh, but, uh, 
they're not a full substitute for being physically present with people. And so I think the hard question we need to ask, ask ourselves is what is more important or what is quote unquote safe anymore, you know? And so I know, you know, the COVID, you know, virus can affect people very negatively up to death or near death. Um, and some people it's not that bad, but what are we What's causing more harm? Uh, the the separation, uh, the economic impact, the mental uh, illness that's been exacerbated. Um, you know whether it's suicidal thoughts, depression, anxiety. Um, you know some people are just so anxious and so worried about getting the virus that it's doing so much negative, uh, negatively to you know mentally and, and emotionally uh, that you know if they were to get the virus, <laughs> you know what. They, they might, you know, be just fine if they were to get the virus. So who knows? Um, and so I, I, I'm not too quick to judge uh, people. Um, you know, I w- everyone has to make their own decisions about what they think is is safe in their own mind. Uh, but for me, uh, you know, I need to be around people. I need to be out, uh, you know, as, as a Christian and a believer, I need to be out in church and connected to people. So that's important to me um, instead of, you know, doing, you know, these home style churches that we do, which are broadcast and all that stuff. That's fine. But, you know, as a church, we're meant to be connected to each other. So um, and as humans, we're meant to be connected to each other. So it's hard. um, And I think everyone has to make their own decision about uh, what they're willing to risk and what that risk is and what they perceive that risk to be. And I'm not going to convince anybody (laughs) of what uh, they should do. Uh, But, you know, me and my family will make our own decision and own choices and, uh, you know, and and I guess suffer the consequences as they come. So what has been your take on the not even ignoring, but actually suppressing conversations of underlying health concerns? Because yeah, again, I'm I'm preaching to the choir. I know that you know you've written a whole book on on resilience, basically. Um, but that's one thing that has just broken my heart about this last year is if we'd had the philosophy like, hey, I want you to assume that you are going to get it. I think people's you know would have had action then. They would have been empowered to to eat better, to exercise, to spend time outside. Um, you know, while still staying within those those uh, precautionary measures. But I feel like. Um, when there's discussion of that, it's almost like heresy. Like, how dare you say that, you know, 400-pound person had underlying health conditions, which I think is an absolute disgusting, you know, uh, way of, of, of addressing this whole problem. So what is, with you having the same kind of background as me, what has been your impression of that whole conversation or lack thereof? Right. Well, you know, where they say an ounce of prevention is worth the pound of cure, right? I mean, so... Uh, I, when you say that and when you think that, and I think it too, that without a doubt, these comorbid, I'm going to try and say this correctly, these comorbidities comorbid- um, that people have, uh, whether it's obesity or, or hypertension, diabetes or whatever, um, you know, those took years and years to develop. Um, and so when someone gets COVID and they have those conditions, no, it's not a, an immediate death sentence, right? But they have a, a hard battle to fight for sure if they have those comorbidities. Co-morbid- <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, you'll edit that and re- redo that for me. I'm, I'm just, we'll do it. a voiceover. I'll yeah, put music good. behind it too. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> good. But anyway, um, without a doubt, it's a hard topic to discuss, but I think it's worth having that conversation that um, 
you know, like we said, an ounce of prevention. So taking care of yourself all along to manage your weight, to making sure we're eating right, to making sure like you talk about all the time to get enough sleep, uh, you know, which can drastically affect our, our health on so many levels. Um, so I, I think there is absolutely nothing wrong with talking about the other side of the coin, if you will. Uh, I mean, we can talk about isolation and quarantine and vaccines and all these different things, right? But we need to also be talking about what you've brought up so many times is that we need to build our resilience. We need to be eating the right foods. We need to make sure that we're exercising. You know, those things will not only impact us physically, right? But like we just all talked about a couple minutes ago, it's going to impact us mentally if we are taking care of ourselves phys- physically because we have that mind and body and soul connection, right? They're all related. Um, so if you make yourself more resilient in the physical sense through, you know, like we said, proper diet, getting good sleep, making sure we're exercising on the regular, it's it's only going to benefit benefit us too when we're talking about uh, our body's immune response. And, and if we get COVID or whatever we get, how, how are we going to bounce back from that? So no, it's not heresy. I'd agree with you. It's not heresy to to talk about, you know, all these uh, other illnesses that uh, can obviously contribute to a worsening or uh, po- possibly to a death of, of a COVID patient or someone who gets COVID. So I think it's worth talking about all day long. Yeah. Well, and like you said, take that person who's right on the edge with their health and add the stress of fear of COVID with no action versus, you know, hey, you can actually get outside and get some daylight. Um, I think that you're making these people more vulnerable and, and increasing the chance of having a more severe reaction when they get it. Yeah, uh, without a doubt. And and the other question is, you know, while you're talking about that, that all, all this time of quarantine, all this time of isolation, you know, what have people done with that? You know, have they just been on Netflix and have they just been on the Internet and Facebook all the time uh, or have they taken the time to re really uh, reevaluate? what's going on in their lives physically um, and uh, have they taken greater ownership of their health? For the most part, I'd probably say they probably haven't, you know, Um, and they've had every single opportunity, uh, you know, to, you know, start an exercise routine. And, uh, you know, there might be some out there that believe that just because they don't have (laughs) a gym or something like that, they don't have equipment that they can't get a workout or if they're stuck in their house and it's 15 degrees outside or whatever it is, they can't get a workout, which that's a, that's a mental roadblock that they need to get over. But that's the other interesting thing is that we've had all this time, uh, to where we're, you know, quarantining quarantining or in our houses and, and or wherever we are and we're separated from other people and we've got this abundance of time, what do we do with it? You know, that's my question for, for some people. And I think it's, a, it's been a perfect opportunity to uh, put down the phone more um, and making sure that we're taking better care of ourselves, um, you know, mentally, physically, we're reading more um, and hopefully we're, we're working out more and we're eating better foods and getting more sleep. Yeah, or writing a book. Or writing a book, you know, <laughs> whatever your thing is, you know, I'm not going to judge. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well then, so your book, you know, your new one is called Firefighter Success, and you mentioned leadership and ownership, and I think that's this this last year has been a great metaphor for, you know, a lot of things that we talk about in the fire service as well. And the ownership is definitely a part of it, but the leadership is the other part. And just to kind of play devil's advocate, you know, we're in an environment this last year where the gyms were closed down 
and the fast food restaurant stayed open. You know, so there's your environment. You know, there's your lack of leadership where you've created an environment that makes it harder for people to eat better, harder for them to work out. Is it is it impossible? No, I worked out the whole year. You worked out the whole year, but I think that those that conversation needs to be you know, had. So, before we get into the fire service specifically, with you having just read written a book on leadership and ownership. What has been your perspective? I'm talking globally. I'm not talking left or right or anything, but you know, locally, nationally, internationally. What are some of the the pros and the cons that you've seen with that kind of arena this last year? Um, as it pertains to how our our culture has changed and the restrictions that have been placed and lifted and then replaced on us, and um, so it, it that's hard to answer. I mean. I would say it does come back to what we just talked about. It comes back to personal accountability, personal responsibility. Um, yes, it has been made easier uh, to, like you said, go get some fast food um, as opposed to going out and getting a healthier meal or cooking yourself a healthier meal. Um, but like I said, we've been given the abundance of time. So what we do with that time is really up to us. Um, I like that you, you brought up the correlation between leadership and ownership. Um, and both, it really comes back down to action, right? Taking action. Um, and so are we just sitting on our hands and, and doing nothing with our time? Or are we taking action to, to improve ourselves? So from a global perspective, um, you know, that's hard to say. And like you said, I'm not going to go left or right or anything like that. Uh, that's a whole nother time and a whole nother conversation that we can have. Uh, but I think it just comes back to personal responsibility, honestly. Um, and uh, some things have been made harder for us to to get through and do. And some things have been made easier for us to do. But it all comes down to our choices and what we want to act upon with those choices. Yeah, yeah. And it isn't a left or right. You know, it's, it's still different countries and you know, counties and cities. And so it's, you know, but I think that the whole there's there's ownership but i think there's there really is a large portion of the population that needs to be led and I, and that always sounds kind of patronizing i don't mean that at all but they can be swayed they can be swayed mm-hmm. to be less active they can be swayed to be more active there's a guy called uh joe wicks in the uk who just was a was a fitness dude and just started posting workouts on i think it was youtube and ended up being the dude that everyone watched, you know. So he just took action. But again, that was that was a leader. He, in that sense, he was a leader. So it's been interesting because you have, you know, let's say the Jason Gardeners, the, the true leaders that, that we all admire. And I saw a video of Jason firing up his troops the other day. Well, you need that guy to fire you up before you go to war, before you go into a fire, whatever it is. And then your ownership kicks in and you, you, you have action with that inspiration. But mm-hmm. that's the problem, I think, is that, you know, there's there's a certain percentage that we're going to go train regardless. And then there's a certain yeah. percentage that no matter what you say, they're not going to train. And those are the ones that probably shouldn't even be in these professions, but that's another story. But oh, then yeah. you have a very large middle group where if you give them a gentle nudge, they're going to do the right thing. They're going to train. They're going to work out. They just need a little poke. And I yeah. think that's that's what we were missing this year. You know, if, again, not picking on any party or anything, just... Overall, where the, the New Zealands and the Guernseys and some of these real success stories in COVID, they had strong leadership. They asked the people to act. They banded together and they were back to normal after three months. The rest of us are playing this, you know, freaking traffic light game and, 
there's the UK still locked down as we speak. I can't go see my sister who's about to have a baby because they couldn't mm. figure out her ass from their elbow. You know, yeah. so it's it's been very frustrating because I'm all about ownership and I walk the walk, I'd like to say. And I just came back from the gym right before we, we started recording. But I want to advocate for the people that are, you know, are not quite as motivated that just need someone to, to be the, the, the man or the woman in the front and say, follow me. Yep. And that's true. That's true. I, I get what you're saying, uh, because, you know, you and I are self-starters, right? You know, we, uh, uh, we rely heavily on our own self-motivation, our own self-discipline. Um, but that is true. Um, and I think you do make a great point is that some, some people do need to be motivated and some people do need to be led by other people to take care, better care of themselves. And, and that's a fact without a doubt. Um, so it's sometimes for me and you, it's, it's hard for us to see those kind of things because we're, we're built from a, a different cloth. I'd say, uh, we're cut from a different cloth. Um, so, uh, I'd agree with that. And, you know, and that's why, you know, with firefighter functional fitness, been posting a lot of stuff uh, about, you know, simple workouts that everybody can do. And that's why they've been popular that, that people can do these body weight kind of workouts. Uh, but also with, with firefighter success and, and that whole another, uh, sphere that I've been, uh, creating and, and developing is that some people just need motivation, you know, whether it is taking better care of themselves uh, a, from a personal leadership perspective and, or while they're at the firehouse, taking better care of their, their fire trucks, their equipment, um, their, their station itself, whatever it is, some people just need motivation, that nudge to, to do those things. And then that kind of spreads like wildfire, right? I mean, so making sure that we're motivating it in the small unit factor, and then it spreads to, the rest of the firehouse, the rest of the, the stations around them and the shift as a whole. So it's kind of interesting how that all works, you know. Uh, but, yeah, I'd agree with you. You make a great point that, yeah, there are those who who definitely need to be led and motivated and, and pushed in the right direction. The, only, the unfortunate thing is that, you know, as our country right now, we're just so divided. Um, and so, uh, you know, what someone is saying, this is the right thing to do. You know, half of the people are saying, no, that's not the right thing to do. And I don't agree with you. So it's so hard uh, in the culture we live in, the, the, the country we live in, uh, when, you know, it's, it's basically 50-50 split uh, to what people believe is the right thing to do. So it's hard, but, you know, I think we have to stay, stick with our core values and we got to stick with what we think is right and, and, you know, try not to judge other people, try and be empathetic and, and uh, you know, making sure that we're doing our best to lead ourselves and hopefully that will lead others as well. Yeah. And I think that I've, I've seen that divide and conquer element though, you know, the, the truth is the middle ground, you know, should everyone yeah. be locked in a box wrapped in plastic for a year? No. <laughs> but should everyone be licking each other's face in nursing homes? Also, no. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's, no, there's, no. there's the common ground in the middle, which is human health. And that includes the underlying health conditions conversation. It includes, I mean, I, I've talked about this, I don't want to get on my, my soapbox, but you know, a year into this, there should be no more pesticides on any of our farms. You know what I mean? We Mother Nature taught us an amazing lesson on pollution. There's all these things, and we're, we we just disregarded all of them. You know, and it's just shut up, have your vex, vaccine, get back in your house. So, you know, I think you're right. They they have divided, but it's the two extremes that have the voices instead of the middle ground, which is. Yes, this is an issue. Yes, we can overwhelm our healthcare system. But in the meantime, here's what we're going to do to improve the health. You know, we're going to stop feeding shit to our kids in schools, for example. 
I'm going to get rid of sodas. You know, I mean, that's where you can, can inspire children to not be the next chronically diseased generation in the US. So, yeah, that's that's the discussion. I don't think many people would argue that. But sadly, that's they're not unifying, as you said. They're dividing and, and taking extreme views rather than actually using the middle ground, which is what would benefit everyone. Yeah, and, and you know, we already talked about this, but we're a culture of convenience, right? We're a culture of uh, gimme now and, and, and you know, like I said before, uh, an ounce of prevention, right? And But we don't want to take the time for that ounce, ounce of prevention. You know, we'd rather take the pound of cure and, you know, roll the dice, take the risks and, and see if we have to have that pound of cure instead of doing that ounce of prevention. So it's hard and uh, it's hard when we're so divided and we don't want to have the, like you said, the honest conversations and look at what, you know, is truthful, uh, because everybody's saying, you know, everybody's truth is a little bit different and, uh, you know, they're, they're disagreeing on what is, what is truth. And, um, it, it's unfortunate that everything's just so political, uh, you know, right now, and hopefully we'll get away from that. I don't know if we will, but hopefully we'll get away from that to, uh, hopefully have some more unity and some common ground. Absolutely. Well, let's transition then to the book. So, you know, obviously your goal was to inspire ownership and leadership. So lead me through the path of what you were seeing in the fire service first and then why you chose to write what you, uh, write what you wrote. Yeah. So um, firefighter success really started like years and years ago, probably back in 2014, 2015, uh, so I was actually, and this is how I've felt since I joined the fire service is that as, as a fire service, we train our firefighters about skills, right? How to learn skills and what a certain tactic is for, um, and that kind of knowledge, but we don't really train our firefighters to have character and core principles and, and know why we are becoming firefighters and why we are here to serve our public um, and so you can teach anybody to force a door. You can teach anybody to advance a hose line. That's great. And those are important things. Every firefighter needs to know those skills. But we need to also making sure that every firefighter can lead themselves. Every firefighter has a strong foundation to know their why or, or know why they're there, uh, the, why they are a firefighter. Right. So um this all started back when I was writing for Firefighter Toolbox. Um, I started to write this article. I was going to put it out, and it was called something like 10 C's to Firefighter Excellence or 10 C's to something. Um, and it, so it, I actually started with you know these 10 C's that I thought were important to firefighters beyond skills, beyond strategies, tactics, knowledge, you know, abilities, all those good things. And so, you know, I had stuff like compassion and courage and competence and all these different C's that I thought were important for firefighters. And so I actually didn't put it out. I let it uh, marinate. I just let it sit for a while. Um, Then I got really involved with Firefighter Functional Fitness. We put that book out and that's been successful. I'm grateful for that. And and we've been doing that for for a while. So I got back to, you know, 2019, I got assigned to a slower station uh, and I was out there for two years, 2019 and 2020. Um, And so, uh, you know, once the day was done and I took care of business and we weren't running calls, I actually was like, I'm going to develop this a little bit more, this this idea. I'm going to take this uh, project on because it was something I was passionate about. And if you boil down firefighter success to what it's all really about, it's about helping firefighters lead themselves and making sure they have strong core principles for themselves so they can eventually 
if they want to just lead themselves in their own little sphere, that's fine. But if they want to go on to leading others, uh, I believe that they have to have these 20 core principles, not down or mastered, but they have to have a strong foundation within all these. So that's really why I, I wrote the book is to help firefighters grow in their own personal leadership um, so they could have a successful and rewarding career. Um I'm grateful for the success it's had already. Thank you. Thanks for all your help with uh, spreading the message and uh, all you've done and for having me on the podcast right now to share more about it. Um, but if you boil it down to, to what it's all about, it's all about personal leadership and helping firefighters lead themselves. Yeah, well, it's a great book. I mean, I have to say, so thank you as well. Because I mean, you you were very generous with your, you know, exposure to my book too. So, you know, that's Oh, that's what it's thing. all about, brother. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, um, but no, so... There's one one comment that really struck out, and I and I got it from mine as well. And I thought this was this is about as as good a compliment as you can get. But it was a, a veteran firefighter that said that reading your book had, had kind of relit the fire inside of them. And I think that's huge because as we get into our career, and you know, some people get a little um, burnt out, for lack of a better word. That's what we need, just to, for them to be able to revisit why they first joined so i would love to actually rather than pick out the the c's just go chronologically and talk about each kind of part of our journey through the fire service and then kind of pick pick out some things from you from that so first let's talk about someone who's even thinking about becoming a firefighter whether they're in some sort of mentor program what what is it that you want to try and um I was going to say enforce, it's totally the wrong word, inspire in our young potential candidates that we don't tend to see historically? Well, I think it comes back to really knowing why you want to join the fire service. You know, why do you want to become a firefighter? Is it for, if you're going to be a paid firefighter, is it for the pay? Because I mean, if that's the case, you're depending (laughs) on where, depending on where you're a firefighter, that might not be a good motivating factor. Um, is it because you like the schedule and you want to work nine to 11 days a month? Um, is it because you um, want the glory, you want the t-shirt, you want to get some firefighter tattoos, or is it because you truly have a passion and desire to to serve others, right? You want to be part of something bigger. You want to uh, be part of something that is of benefit to others, of, a benefit to the community. Um, so I think before a firefighter even... <laughs> Uh, really gets into the fire service, they need to decide why they are becoming a firefighter. And, and that's probably the most important thing to know. Um, I, and one of the things uh, I had in my mindset when I was writing the book is like, I want a, to create a resource that will help aspiring firefighters succeed into becoming a firefighter and, and a great firefighter. But I also want to create a resource that's going to help a current firefighter, whether they have a month on the job or 20 years on the job, something that's going to help inspire them. And like you said, reignite their passion for the job. Uh, Maybe it's fizzled out a little bit, but I want to give them something that uh, hopefully will re-inspire that, reignite that passion, uh, no matter how many years of service um, they have on the job. So I'm glad you brought that up earlier. Um, So yeah, it really comes back to knowing our why, knowing, uh, and I wrote a whole chapter on conviction, you know, knowing your own core values, making sure you have core values making sure you know what your own personal mission uh, is, your own vision for yourself. What are your goals? Because so many times we go through life without goals, right? Um, So maybe your first goal is to just become a firefighter. That's great. But what are you going to do beyond that uh, within your fire service career? Hopefully you're not just going to 
sit sit on idle the entire time and, and you know uh, not saying that everybody has to be a, an officer or a driver or whatever but making sure your goals are to be the best firefighter you can be um, so long answer to your original question but yeah that that aspiring firefighter is is definitely they need to know their why and and why they're wanting to become a firefighter well it's funny because you said as well yeah that we work 10 11 days a, a month and that's something that we talk about oh i work you know I, I get 20 days off a month or you know i work one day on two days off but when you think about it if you break it down eight hour days we work 30 days a month Right, right. It's not yeah, so attractive especially now. if you're running calls in the middle of the night. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. 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 So, so I think yeah, and that's not a criticism. I mean, you know, as I, I would love to see, as you know, twenty four seventy twos, but I've, I've, you know, that conversation is redundant. But um, I think it's important for people to understand at that level, like what you're actually going into, you know, and and, and the conversation sometimes like, oh, you're going to see all this horrible shit. You know, you are, but let's talk about the real issues. You know, that you're going to have, you know, twenty four hours away from your family. That you might be under, you know, these conversations need to happen. You might be under someone who's an, uh, an officer who's a fucking nightmare. You know what I mean? So not painting a, a bad picture, but I think we need to educate people more on what this profession looks like. And then and we're doing this actually in, in Florida now, but also give them the, the tools on the sleep deprivation, on the mental health and these things so that right from day one, that's a norm. So as they start going through and maybe they put on a little extra weight or start getting a little uh, angry at home, they can revert back to what they were taught right from day one. Right. And that was the other part of the book. And your book does it so well is just, uh, you know, painting the picture of, of here's some of the things that you need to think about before you become a firefighter. Or maybe see, these are some things you haven't experienced yet as a firefighter, but you may experience them. And here's what you can do about those things uh, once they present themselves. So that was one of the things that was just so great about your book. And, and, you know, I, I touched on different things within my book, uh, you know, with, with Captain Dean Ali, uh, helping contribute to the chapter on courage, talking about emotional courage, making sure that we have the courage when, you know, we're stuck in that hard place. And we, whether it's uh, part of the job that has uh, caused, you know, some post-traumatic stress or it's stress at home, which is a huge stressor as well, financially, you know, or relationship problems or, or, you know, a sick family member, whatever it is, we need to make sure that we know how to weather these different kinds of storms, right? And make sure that we have a strong foundation, a strong base to get through those times. Um, and that, like you said, we're provided the right tools uh, throughout our career to help combat and, and hopefully be victorious over all these different things that we're going to encounter because it's not just like we said before showing up 10 days a month uh you know running some cool calls and and uh you know getting to sleep every night <laughs> while we're at the station because you know that's not going to happen unless you're at the luckiest fire department in the world um but yeah making sure that we're equipping our firefighters you know whether they're aspiring firefighters or current firefighters with the right tools to succeed uh, throughout their fire service career and they're not getting burned out they're not you know um, you know, having suicidal thoughts, depression, anxiety, um, but they're healthy and they're thriving all throughout their career. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's the you know potential firefighter. So, what about you know hired recruit slash proby? You know, what what are some of the the areas you think that as a profession we can do better there? Uh, you know, it, uh, from a leadership point of view, and obviously an ownership point of view. 
Um, yeah, I think, uh, well, from a leadership point of view, I think as leaders for these new firefighters, you know, whether it's the probie, the rookie, whatever, we need to make sure that we're not disregarding what they have to say. Um, and for ourselves as a company officer, we need to make sure that we're actively engaged with them, that we're, we have that relationship that we're building with them and that we're really intentional, just like a, a, I am with my kids and a, a parent is with their children. They're really intentional with their actions, with their time, um, what they say, you know, how they encourage them, how they lead them. Um, so I'm fortunate enough to have a, a, a new guy on my crew. I uh, just started at the end of last year. And I love having new firefighters, new guys, uh, new employees on my crew because it, it gives a good excuse for us all to uh, as a crew and, and myself to cover things, you know, we have this book of skills and different things that they have to cover as a new firefighter. It's a great excuse to get to go back over those basics and train over those things and get equipment out. Um, but just making sure as leaders, we're taking that active role uh, with those new firefighters. And if I can speak to directly to the new firefighters, making sure that okay, now you're hired, now you're on the job. Yes, you probably have this probationary period of whatever, six months, a year or two years, however long it is, making sure that after that or when it comes to an end, you're not just resting on your laurels. You know, you're not, you're not just uh, coasting along, but you are the same fire and drive and passion you hopefully had when you just got hired and you were during, throughout your probation is to continue that all throughout your career. Yes, there's going to be, you know, peaks and valleys of, of passion and, and, you know, your own self-discipline and drive, but making sure that it's a constant upward trajectory for these these firefighters. So if, if I could give that advice to the newest firefighter is to make sure that whatever you started with, continue with it and build upon it and make sure that you're just not sitting back in the recliner and make sure that you're you're staying disciplined and, and actively engaged uh, throughout the rest of your career. Yeah, I used to call them yads in Anaheim, year and a day. Yeah, <laughs> year and a day, and then they're done. <laughs> yeah, they tap out. Yeah. Um, so, well, another, I think, very important conversation is the the mentorship element, the senior man or oh. yeah, senior firefighter, excuse me. Um, and, you know, I say senior man because I think of Al Benjamin, who I just had on from FDMY, who's just, yeah. you know, the epitome of that. But that's something I've seen, again, in all honesty, from the lesser departments um but this whole rolling of the eyes snowflake millennial conversation um and then you take a step back and go well wait a second have you actually taken the time to show these people anything because yes they are get, from a different and to get job. to know them right exactly so what is your opinion on that like how how do we as as a older fire station have the humility to remind ourselves that sometimes these people may have never picked up a power tool or whatever and that we but they may be a damn genius when our you know our laptop fails you know what i mean so so that element of the the kind of humility to 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 consistently be the teacher well i think you hit it on the head the the nail right on the head when you said humility right because that's what it really comes back to is is making sure that we're humble enough to realize that they have something that they can offer and they have their strengths that are going to complement our weaknesses or our strengths. So I think it's a meeting in the middle and not expecting that they do it our way, um, you know, or the senior man, the senior, senior firefighter, the, the senior company officer, whatever. They're not expecting that the the new firefighter completely 
you know, in the course of their probation or whatever over a month, they're not, you know, bending over backwards to completely adapt and adjust to the way it is. But I think it takes a lot of humility, like you said, meeting them in the middle and finding out, building those relationships, which takes time, finding out what makes them tick, what their interests are, what they're good at. Um, you know, just for example, a guy, new, new guy in my fire department, which who actually is very, very mechanically inclined when it comes to small engine repairs and all that stuff. Um, and I worked with him on my crew and he was down there by himself the other day fixing a, a, a leaf blower. You know, he took the carbs apart, all these different things, which, you know, if you don't get to know someone and uh, what they're all about and what their background is and what their passions are, you'll never know that they have that and they can do that for you, um, which I can't do that, you know, so maybe he can teach me something that I didn't know. Uh, but like you said, it just comes back to humility, right? And it comes back to taking the time, take, you know, being intentional with these firefighters, these news firefighters on, you know, what are their strengths? What are their interests? Um, and then from their vantage point, um, you know, like you said, this, <laughs> the snowflake, the millennial, you know, that, that gets tossed around all the time, right? But making sure that these newer people are respecting, you know, what they're coming into, right? They're not just like, whatever, you know, I'm, I, I made it here. I'm going to do it my way. But they're also making sure that they're meeting you in the middle, paying the crew members who are established, uh, the company officers, officers who are there and established that they're paying them respect. And they're, they're making sure that they can also learn from those individuals as well. So I think we can all learn from each other, different things. And, and we can only do that once we, we build those relationships and we know what each other's strengths really are. So, and that takes time, you know, it, it doesn't happen on the first day. It doesn't happen the first week. It just takes time to, to get to know each other. Well, from, yeah, putting the shoe on the other foot again. So, uh, interesting perspective that a couple of people have told me is you get hired, you go through this, you know, arduous probation and then what? Like a lot, yeah. There's there's not very much training. There's no fitness standards anymore, and so in a sense, some of our probies are kind of just thrown out there. You know what I mean? So, from an uh, an administration leadership perspective, what is your view on you know implementing annual fitness standards, making realistic training, and so showing these new recruits like, no, we are we are adamant that you do improve and we're going to hold you to these standards and, and actually get them fired up and excited to be like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm on this, this journeyman journey and, you know, I'm, I'm going to be held accountable over and over and over again to show that I'm part of this team. Right. So, um, it, it's interesting because it varies from fire department to fire department, what standards are and from state to state, as you know, um, but within my own fire department, we do have, you know, certain fitness standards. We have annual fitness evaluations. We have annual medical evaluations. And if certain people fall, you know, to a the low end or, or fail in certain points, then they are held accountable. Um, but as it pertains to, uh, you know, we can institute all these certain standards. But like I said before, what it comes back to is is really strong leadership um, and, you know, making sure that these uh, us as company officers, we are getting out there with our crew and we are leading and that we're training on the regular. And like you said, our training is relevant and, and it's realistic and we do it often. Um, so 
it's a it's you know two heads two sides of the coin of yes we can have all these standards right and we can have all these things that hold our people accountable which i think are it's very important and we need to have those things but it's also i think i would say more important to have strong leadership and, and to drive our people where we want them to go right and making sure uh, our, our leadership whether it's higher level administration leadership or it's our company officers have high expectations for our people, right? And making sure that we actually enforce our, those expectations, uh, what we have, those expect- expectations that we have for our people and making sure that we live them out ourselves, right? And that's the other thing is, are we holding ourselves accountable a- as leaders to making sure that we are fulfilling what we want our people to do? Because if we're not, then that's we're going to lose credibility. We're going to lose trust and respect with with our people. So, you know, yeah, we can have the standards, but I think strong leadership is is much more important to driving our people uh, to what we need them or want them to do, I should say. Now, how important do you think it is that the lieutenants, captains, BCs, DCs, chiefs walk the walk with their physical standards while they're wearing the badge? Oh, oh incredibly important. I mean, who would you think carries more credibility? Uh, you know, like you said, a 400 pound you know, chief officer or a captain or someone who's physically fit and can do the job and is a workhorse on the fire ground. I mean, uh, you know, I, one of my goals, you know, selfish goals when it comes to physical fitness and, and job performance is that I want to try and outwork. I'm 40 now, so I want to try and outwork any 20 something that's on the fire ground. And I want them to be chasing my my tail when, you know, we're, we're throwing a ladder or we're stretching a hose line or, you know, we've recycled for five to 10 minutes. I'm like, all right, guys, you ready? You ready to go, you know, go again and let's go on deck or let's let's see what we can do. And my crew members kind of know that, that I'm a workhorse and I want to be a workhorse and I want them to be workhorses on the fire ground. So that is one of my personal expectations for them. Uh, as their company officer is is to try and get, uh, you know, I don't care what you do, but to try and get, we have excellent fitness equipment at all of our stations. So there's no excuse. I know we can run calls, but my expectation is that you get some type of exercise, some type of workout in every day, every shift that we're at the, at the firehouse. Um, but going back to your original point, yeah, without a doubt, uh, our chief officers, our company officers, we all have to lead by example um, because we can't say, Hey, we want our firefighters to be fit, and then our upper level, upper level management is completely unfit. It, it it just doesn't work. You know, there's no correlation, there's no motivation, and there's no credibility when that happens. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, I'm just speaking for myself, but in several departments, what I've also witnessed is if you have a union board who's deconditioned, then you end up with a scenario where they're self-serving and opposing fitness initiatives because they know they're going to be exposed themselves. Yeah. And, and apparently uh, that, you know, I'm, I'm part of the union, you know, I'm part of the IFF. Um, so if you do the research, uh, there's, you know, the joint uh, commission between the IFC and the IFF, you know, there's that joint commission and joint standards of the wellness fitness initiative that we've all come together on and, <laughs> and agreed on that uh, we need to be implementing fitness uh, and taking fitness very ser- seriously and also behavioral health very seriously. Um, so, yeah, it, when it comes to, uh, you know, union uh, talking against fitness, it, it, that just doesn't work for me. I mean, um, yeah, we can go on and on about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just an important, I sound, you know, it sounds, sounds like I'm union bashing, but I'm just pulling, 
you know, the difficult topics out. I was a union member my whole career, paid, you know, all the way to the last day. But, you know, like you said, when when a group that you're paying to make your environment better is having the opposite effect, then they need to be called out. That's bullshit. And there's some great unions out there that are probably totally behind all the right things, but there are some horrible ones because I've worked with them, you know, so I, I can say that hand on heart that there are some out there, you know, in, in Florida specifically that, you know, they need to just clean house and put new people in that actually have the health of their men and women at the core of what they do. Yeah. And, and I, I don't get that argument of, of being against fitness because improved fitness and wellness only improves everything else. I mean, and I'm not just talking about your own physical well-being. I'm talking about morale. I mean, if you look at, at fire departments that have a robust fitness and firefighter training programs, both of those, the, the increased level of morale between, uh, amongst their firefighters as as compared to those other fire departments that you know training is not important physical fitness is not important there's a direct correlation between those, those two things so um, I don't want to get on my soapbox too much about that but uh, <laughs> you know but I think there's something to be said for all levels of our leadership whether it's uh, fire department administration or it's the union leadership uh, you really can't argue about physical fitness because it benefits us in so many ways. I mean, if we're talking about wanting to save our fire department money, uh, some people will argue that fitness costs us, you know, the, whether it's the equipment or the annual medical evaluations or physical fitness evaluations. But if you look at the research, every $1 invested in physical fitness will yield two to four dollars, sometimes even more than that for every dollar invested will yield in and saved, you know, time off, workers' compensation, health insurance. I mean, it goes on and on all the money that is saved from implementing physical fitness uh, and wellness um, programs within fire departments. And not only that, we have healthier firefighters, right? I mean, we have firefighters who uh, do their job better, right? Who serve our, our communities better. And that's why we're here, right? We're here to be there for them. Um, and so, yeah, like I said, I can get on my soapbox about all that, but, uh, um, uh, there really is no argument, uh, to improve physical fitness for firefighters. Beautiful. Well, another area that I really want to talk about, because sadly, this is a, a real issue in the fire service, but is that toxic, you know, leadership, if you like. Um, and this could pertain purely to a lot of the people that I hear from that are the hard chargers that do have ownership that are trying to make differences in their department and are banging their head against a brick wall, you know, and it's so heartbreaking because they, they want to change. And, you know, and even some of the departments that people think are amazing, you know, I get to, to hear behind the scenes and there's, there's a lot of issues. Um, and then to take it up another notch, you have, you know, the sexual harassment, the, you know, the, the racial, you know, the racism, that kind of thing. Is it rampant? No, but is it there? Yes. So through, you know, again, your leadership lens, what are some of the tools that we can use to start eliminating that? Obviously, you know, what, what the hell is that training called now? Um, you know, the, the PC training that we have to do, the, the little, you know, online oh, training, yeah. that ain't changing Anti-harassment and yeah. all that yeah, that's, diversity that's, training. Yeah, there we go. Diversity training. Absolute bullshit. Well, with the whole point to me is that we need to not allow people that are cut from that cloth to even be in our profession. So 
with again with your leadership lens how do we address some of those issues oh well how long do you have um a long time (laughs) (laughs) so it, it comes back to making sure we're hiring the right people and even before that that you know like i said before that was one of the reasons why i wanted to write this book and get it out there as a resource is to help firefighters you know, yes, we, we can have all the skills and knowledge in the world, but we need to have firefighters with with true character, with courage and, and making sure that we don't hire those kind of firefighters who are, you know, racist and, and, and bigots and and all that. Yeah, I mean, that's easier said than done. Right. Um, but uh, so that it starts with hiring the right people and developing the right people. But like you said, some leadership can be completely toxic. And how do we kind of get rid of those leaders? Well, that's a whole nother question I don't have an answer to, honestly. Um, but I think it comes back to, you know, keep your side of the street clean um, and make sure that you are the change that you want to see. I mean, that may be a cliche, but, um, you know, st- stand out against things that you think are unjust or, or wrong or inappropriate and, and make sure that you're not silent on those issues uh, where it comes to, you know, true sexual harassment that we may see, true racism, um, any type of inappropriate, I mean, inappropriate behavior. Uh, I mean, I'd say every firefighter is a little inappropriate. <laughs> I think we can all agree with that. But it's intention, um, though, isn't it? Like if there's yeah, fun behind it and you're all yeah. in, that's different than, you know, being hateful towards someone. Right. Hateful and, and true harassment, you know, wanting to break someone down. And yes, I, I agree with that. Um, but yeah, it comes back to being the change that you want to be and leading by example, uh, standing up against what you think is is not right. And um, as it pertains to that upper level, you know, leadership that can be toxic. Uh, I don't have a lot of solutions for that, unfortunately. Uh, retirement is good uh, for those individuals. <laughs> Today. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, right now, five years ago, 10 years ago. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, yeah, that's that's a hard topic all, all in itself right there. Well, what what do you think of of the the whole concept of of that high bar? And the reason I ask this, I've been so lucky to have so many people from the special operations community from all branches on here now, and the absolute common denominator is they hold police, fire, EMS at the same level of themselves. You know, obviously because of the nature of what we do, the tones goes off, and we we have no idea what we're going to be responding to, but also because we're the ones protecting their families when they're overseas doing what they do. Um, and I'm not saying there's any perfect, you know, group out there, the seals, the rangers, the PJs, they all have, you know, their, their rotten apples, but overall, you know, their, their bar is held very high and therefore they have a very cohesive, highly trained, highly performing group of men and women, depending on the branch. Um, and that's something that I have seen just in my journey. The, the departments that set the bar high had fucking rock stars come through for you know mm-hmm. lack of a better word they they was yeah. such a, an amazing group of men and women we were so proud of achieving getting off probation and in the you ended up having great engineers great captains great bcs yep um conversely i've seen the polar opposite and that has the absolute disaster that follows it so what is your opinion of of just setting that bar high and maintaining it and and demanding it year by year to have that ripple effect of a much better camaraderie, lesser, you know, lesser events of harassment and toxic leadership and that kind of thing. Well, like you said, it comes back to setting the bar high and that comes back to expectations, right? And uh, making sure that we're not lowering the bar, we're not lowering the standards for who we hire. Uh, we're not lowering the standards 
we want to promote are the promotional requirements. Um, and so it's a, a snowball effect, right? And so uh, it's hard because, you know, certain fire departments, depending on the fire department, it, it, you know, can lower their standards so much that they're just trying to fill a spot. You know, they're just trying to get warm bodies in there. Um, and, you know, th- that's a whole nother topic. Um, but uh, I think it, like you already hit, you already hit it on the head is that, you know, we need to make sure that we're not lowering the standards. We're, we're setting the bar, continue to set the bar high and that uh, when we set that bar high, are we holding our people accountable to those expectations that we set? And, uh, so if we're not, then it's pointless, right? So if we say that we need to have, you need to have these 10 qualifications to even test for promotion, you know, to go through the promotional process to become a company officer. Uh, well, if no one fills a, that pool, are we lowering that down, you know, those qualifications? Are we lowering that down to, oh, you only need two now? <laughs> and then we continue on with that. And then we ha- our standards are set so low that basically you just need to be here for, you know, five or 10 years and then you can test. You know, hopefully we're not doing that. Uh, hopefully, like you said, we're, we're keeping our standards high and aiming to get you know, rock stars in our own fire department. Um, and we're promoting, uh, we're promoting the people, uh, and hiring the people that we know have character, you know, and, and within my fire department is small enough to know who we, you're promoting. You, we know everybody. Um, so making sure we're not just looking at a number, uh, a score, you know, we're not just looking at that score when it comes to hiring someone. We're not just looking to the score when we're, we're promoting someone as well, but we're taking into account a more global view of that person as opposed to how, what they scored on their multiple choice questionnaire um, when they, they were trying to get hired or trying to get promoted. So, yeah, I think, uh, you know, keeping those standards high uh, and making sure that we don't uh, bow down to uh, just trying to fill a spot because uh, that can be a whole nother uh, complication within itself. Yeah. <clears throat> well, another thing that, that has come, you know, has been another kind of reoccurring topic is the fact that when you hold the bar high, you attract more good people. So I think it's a yeah. completely bogus philosophy that, oh, we need to lower the standards so we can get more people. I call complete bullshit yep. on it. You get more shitty people, but if you want to get more good people, you challenge them. Oh, yeah. And they will rise to the occasion. The right people will rise to the occasion and, and make sure that they achieve those high standards. Um, you know, it's kind of like for my my kids, you know, I say, all right, I, I have high standards for them, right? Um, they may not always achieve those standards. And my dad, my dad had high standards for me. And I talk about that often uh, in the book is that you may, you know, say, I want you to achieve a level five. Well, they might try their hardest. At least they try their hardest and they achieve a level four. Well, I'm happy with that because they tried their hardest and they, without me saying, Hey, you need to, you know, get to this level five. Uh, If I would have said, Hey, you just need to achieve a level two. They may have only achieved a level two, right? And instead of getting that level four that they achieved. So I agree with you. Keep those standards high and and make sure that the people meet those standards and and they'll rise to the occasion. The right people will rise to the occasion, like you said. Absolutely. Well, I wanted to just cycle back to um, your department for a second. Speaking of leadership, what 
what kind of leadership created an environment that did put fitness equipment in every station that did require annual fitness standards with an actual repercussion? Because, I mean, that's, that's a, sadly, I think an anomaly in, in, in fire service, not, you know, not the masses. Well, I think it comes back to getting the right people in those positions that are willing to agree to those things. Uh, so we definitely have, uh, you know, our union leadership, our shop stewards within our own fire department are progressive and they know the importance of fitness, um, but also our deputy chief who is in charge of, of all the different, uh, you know, fitness and wellness programs within Metro West and my, at my fire department. Um, he's very progressive. He's very, you know, he's always taking fitness seriously. He's a runner himself. So he, he walks the walk uh, himself. So he knows the importance of it all. Um, but he also knows, you know, from an administrative standpoint that healthier firefighters, is better for everyone. It's better for our citizens. It's better for ourselves. It's better uh, for the fire department. It, it saves more money to have healthier firefighters. Um, so he, he gets it. And that's what it comes back to is making sure that we have um, people who get it uh, in those right leadership positions. And also, you know, I'm a, I'm a co-chair with another captain who has been passionate in driving fitness and wellness a long time at my fire department. And, you know, this isn't something that happens you know, overnight. It's something that's, you know, I've been there for 14 years now. Um, and, you know, we've grown in the last 14 years and they were growing before I ever started, the, you know, at my fire department, they've been growing all along. And I've seen just the different elements we've, we've started to implement. Um, and it takes little bits and pieces. You can't do everything all at once. You can't just have the most out of shape, unfit fire department and say, all right, Everyone has to get a VO2 of 42 or you're going home, right? That doesn't work, right? It, 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 it's a slow progress uh, process, I should say. Um, and it takes time to make pro uh, progress uh, over time. So it, it, it's a multiple, you know, multiple factors that definitely lead into it. But you definitely have to have that strong leadership core who believes uh, that wellness is important uh, and the, who's willing to put money behind it. Uh, whether it's uh, in our fire station uh, gyms and equipment that we can use, but also put money towards um, our annual medical evaluations and making sure that our members um, are able to get the behavioral health you know, benefits or whatever assistance they need in that realm as well. Um, and making sure that if someone isn't me meeting the standard, not saying, okay, you're going to be disciplined, but first supporting them and encouraging them along the way with the right resources. Like we all have, we, at my fire department, we have uh, 10 to 12 peer fitness trainers and three of us are certified personal trainers at my fire department. Um, so making sure that you're getting that training for your people as well to help other people be successful when it comes to, to firefighter fitness and wellness. So it's multiple, multiple factors and variables that, that contribute to it all. It's not just black or white, you know, overnight. Um, but, uh, it's making sure that every, every step of the way, uh, that we, we have, uh, different tools to, and resources to help our firefighters. And at my fire department as well, we have a, a dedicated health and wellness committee. I mean, that starts to implement all these things. So, and that has people from all different rank, ranks and years of service on it. Um, it has, you know, the the union leadership on it as well. So everybody gets a say there and everybody is is hopefully moving in the uh, best direction or the right direction for our people to get healthier and healthier. 
Beautiful. Well, that just illustrates what we're talking about. You got the ownership of the responder who has found themselves deconditioned but is willing to put in the work. And then you have the environment for them to thrive. So that's the leadership part. Yeah. If that person yep. was out of shape and basically there was no fitness equipment, no annual tests or anything, the chances of them being successful in reclaiming their health go down a lot. Yeah, yeah, and it goes the same for you know. Let's take fitness out of the uh, out of the equation. And if someone wants to develop themselves to be a company officer, leader, whatever, you have to provide them with the right tools, right, to help them be successful in that area. So, I mean, yeah, we can talk about fitness equipment and all those things, but let's talk about funding, you know, training for our you know people who want to be successful in their promotional journey and have great leaders. Well, we need to mentor them. We need to make sure that we are paying for training and, and making sure that they get all the classes and, and training they need to be successful in that area too. So like I said before, a robust, you know, uh, a fire department with a robust fitness and wellness training kind of program, it, typically the training side of that fire department is equally as strong as well. Um, so I'm fortunate to have that within my own fire department and grateful for that uh, because I think the two are, are intertwined um, as it pertains to, you know, firefighter development. Yeah. Well, I just had a conversation with a uh, friend of mine who's a, a female canine officer in one of the uh, surrounding uh, cities. Um, and she, one of her observations about how do we improve you know, on the law enforcement side is she was talking about making the academy a lot longer, but also focusing a lot on communication training because of the whole de-escalation factor and you know ultimately what you're doing is you're initially talking to someone obviously it can it can escalate god forbid but there are so many cases where good communication disarms you know a potential bad situation what is your opinion of that same thing in the fire service because you know again we give people the tools to hand a bandage a wound how to you know extend a a triple layer but we don't ever really give them the tools on how to actually effectively, you know, interact with the public, interact with each other in the station. So what's your view on on that C? Well, exactly. I mean, we need to make sure that we're training our people to interact uh, with with other people. Well, um, I, I self-admittedly, I was not a people person, uh, you know, coming in into the fire service. You know, I, I would say I was definitely an introvert um, and not that I didn't like people, but I was just not a people person. And now I definitely am. And it's taken years to uh, develop that. Um, and so I think it's so important to make sure that we have firefighters that, yes, can communicate, uh, can have that compassion uh, to interact with the public. And, you know, because I'll be the first to admit, sometimes I am the person who is lacking in, in compassion, right? I lack patience on the regular. So that is one of my weaknesses and, and things I need to improve on uh, daily. Uh, but yeah, as it comes to de-escalation training and, and all that, I think it's incredibly important, especially for me as being a, a paramedic also. And at my fire department, we're, we're cross-trained. We're both paramedics. We run EMS calls. We transport as well. Um, and 75 to 80% of our calls are EMS calls. Um, so without a doubt, as, as firefighters, as first responders as a whole, whether you're a police officer or not, Without a doubt, we need to have that de-escalation training and making sure we know how to relate to those people who are maybe not having the best uh, best day of their lives and aren't may necessarily in the right frame of mind and making the best decisions. Um, so without a doubt, we need to do that. 
Uh, well, you mentioned another magic C and it's probably one of my favorites, which is compassion. Oh, and yeah. This is a double, you know, double prong conversation because as the right people that should be there got hired, get burnt out as the sleep deprivation, the shift work, you know, what we see, all these compounding factors start to beat people down. Some people do get compassion fatigue, as you said. Um, and, but what I see is as that compassion goes away, it's that, Believing also in that facade of the superhero, the robot, you know, where they also lose compassion for themselves. And, you know, compassion is what drove us into this profession in the first place, that we care about people and we want to make their their day better. So what is your view not only of compa- maintaining compassion, not getting compassion fatigue, but also understanding that you're a human being and having compassion for yourself and allowing yourself to be vulnerable even though you wear a badge? Right. And it comes back to serving people and, and we are there for other people, right? We're not there just as robots, like you said, to just fulfill a task and be done with it, right? You know, after we have that fire um, at someone's house, uh, do we make sure that they're taken care of? Do they make, do we make sure that they're emotionally, physically okay after that fire? Um, so as it pertains to serving the public, without a doubt, compassion has to be at the forefront of our mind. And when it comes to also, I would say, each other as firefighters, we need to be compassionate with each other. Uh, we need to make sure that, like I like to say, no one is a lost cause. So many times, you know, we can see fellow firefighters who are constantly negative. Maybe they complain a lot. Maybe they're they're completely apathetic. Uh, so many times, like someone who's highly motivated and, you know, out there kind of like myself, um, wanting to make sure that everybody's positive and, and you know, building good morale and, and good relationships. And, you know, there are other firefighters who don't want anything to do with that. Right. And they're completely negative. And I need to make sure myself that I am not just writing them off because no one is a lost cause. It just takes the right leadership to inspire them to to come back and maybe respark that passion within them uh, to become better. Um but as you said, yeah, we can't be robots. We need to make sure that uh, we are taking care of ourselves. We're compassionate with ourselves and we're compassionate with other firefighters as well and making sure that uh, we are taking care of each other the best way that we can. And that really comes back to patience, empathy, and, and building those relationships. Yeah, and I think a question that a lot of us, you know, have asked before is, you know, oh, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with Steve? You know, whatever. And I've now found myself looking a very different, you know, finding a very different perspective through all these conversations where the question is, what happened to you? Because that person that you remember was cool as hell in probation or, you know, when you went through academy together and now is a complete asshole every day. You know, did they just suddenly wake up and decide to be a horrible person or... Is that a, a big red flag that there's something going on? Maybe something happened before they became a firefighter. Maybe something's happened since. But as you said, rather than, than jumping on them, taking them aside, to take them into the office and, and say, hey, you know, th- th- you don't seem how you used to be. You know, what's going on? And, and seeing, using the, the soft approach rather than the hard approach and addressing, you know, an angry firefighter because we've we've all known them you know we've all been them sometimes but yeah there's always that guy in a department who's always pissed off but the question is well, yeah. why are they always pissed off 
Yeah, and I think it takes courage to have those conversations, right? Um, and it takes us, uh, it requires us to have compassion to want to to help them or at least figure out what's going on with them, right? And and so, yeah, it takes a lot of courage to maybe someone you're not necessarily have a good relationship with to be like, hey, man, like you said, what is going on? You know, because you are obviously not yourself and you used to be like this. Um, and they may not be expecting that. Right. And they, that, that'd be the last thing that they ever expect is that maybe you or someone else like really takes an interest in their well-being. Um, you know, it's not up to us how they are going to respond to that, but it is up to us to make sure that we can ask those questions and, sh- and show our compassion, show that we are interested and show that we care about them. And, and we're saying, Hey, something's not right. How, how can I help? Or, Maybe you don't want me to help, but just know that if you ever need help, let me know. Um, and one of the things that uh, Captain Dean Ali, I love that she she put in in the Firefighter Success book is is asking the really blunt, honest questions um, like, you know, asking someone, do you want to kill yourself? I mean, that's a pretty blunt, direct question, you know, or are you on drugs? You know, are, are you drinking too much? And sometimes it just requires one person to ask you that question. If you're going through those things, it takes one person to ask that question to be like, oh, wow, I can be honest with someone, you know, or I can be honest with myself. And that's pretty powerful. So um, if we have the courage to have those those tough conversations, ask those tough questions and have that compassion, I think we're all going to be the better for it. Absolutely. Well, I want to hit on one more area before we transition to some closing questions. Um, I think, a, a, obviously, as we mentioned earlier in the in the conversation, an area that I think that needs a lot of help, and it obviously, you know, your book has done an incredible job with this, is those of us that have been in 10, 15 years, you know, and I had Andy Stump for Navy SEAL on here, and he talked about after 10 years as a SEAL, it basically, he felt like he'd kind of peaked and not peaked like he'd learned everything, but in the same way as when we're new firefighters, a mattress fire is like a complete adrenaline rush. And then I know for me, 15 years in or 14 years in, unless it was a bomb burner, I don't think my heart rate even went up. You know what I mean? So there, there, there's <laughs> definitely that adrenal fatigue. And then, you know, yeah. the, the the learning, you learn a little bit less from the entire scene each time. You always learn. Absolutely. But when you're brand new, there's so much to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, so with the, the veteran, and I'll use that term loosely, you know, someone who's been to the point where it's not new for them anymore. How do we re-inspire or, or keep those men and women, you know, engaged or even remind them actually, you know, what, what's, what's a, a tangible way to kind of rediscover that flame that sent you into those professions in the first place? Yeah, uh, that's a great question um, because there are so many of us, you know, 10, 15, 20, 25 year firefighters who who are in this job. And like you said, may have lost passion or lost their why or, you know, lost interest in what we're doing. And I think one of the key ways to keep them reengaged or keep them engaged, I should say, is to make sure that they are mentoring and bringing along the younger firefighters and that will keep them engaged. Um is everyone a necessarily a leader or necessarily a trainer or whatever? You know, I would say some people have more natural talent in that area. Um, they have more passion to teach our new firefighters um, along. But to me, I, the great firefighters are the ones who do that. You know, whether they got 20, 25, 30 years on the job, regardless of their p- position within the fire department, 
the, the ones that are willing to mentor and coach um, the newer firefighters along or firefighters who want to promote to a certain position, the ones that are willing to help those firefighters, I think that's how, you know, me personally, that's how I stay engaged. I, I love having new firefighters. I love having uh, a guy on my crew who wants to become a lieutenant, um, I, a guy and a lieutenant on my crew who wants to be a captain. I mean, that's that's what keeps me passionate is like and keeps me fresh as well with my own skills um, and, and knowledge is making sure that, you know, if they they're learning and in, in their position, that's also helping me learn in my position and keeping me fresh, too. Um, so uh, if if we could get more of those, you know, uh, well invested firefighter firefighters with all their years invested, if we can get them mentoring and coaching more, I think that's going to help a lot. Absolutely. Well, I think that reminds me as well. I think there's three stages of learning where stage one is you learn, stage two you do, and then stage mm -hmm. three you teach. So if you can't right. show someone how to do a skill, that that's a, a you know an opportunity for you to improve as as a, a you know a firefighter in that area as well. And one of the things I love when I I teach or coach somebody, let's just take say it's a, a ladder skill or a force in a door. Well, maybe the new guys like hey check this out. Have you ever seen this before? Maybe I haven't seen it. And I've learned something new from that too. And so that kind of, you know, that process of learning from someone else um, is, is to me, it, you know, is it, so important. And I love it too. Uh, just getting to learn from others. Yeah. Well, as I, I posted the, uh, the high shoulder ladder throw from California and then you sent me the video of your ladder flip. So there you go. We're, we're comparing <laughs> there, notes right there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And there's always a new trick or whatever. If we have the, the solid foundation, you know, um, down, uh, but there's always a new trick or something cool out there to learn. And maybe it's, it's for you. Maybe it's not. You can disregard it um, if it's not for you or not going to work for your, your fire department. But hey, you know, the most successful firefighters out there are the ones that are constantly learning and co constantly wanting to teach other firefighters as well. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the most like nauseating phrases I used to hear is that, oh, no one cares what you did in your last department. <laughs> you need to find a different department because that's a horrible way of looking at it. And if they came from yeah. somewhere and they did something better. Now, I'm not saying like you constantly say, oh, but in my department as a probie. Right. But yeah, I mean, absolutely. You should be open to ideas, you know, nationally and internationally because it might be better right. than what you're doing. And it, it comes back to humility, right? And that's why I started the Firefighter Success book with basically humility and being coachable because no matter whether you're an aspiring firefighter or you got 30 years on the on the job, the most successful firefighters are the ones that are constantly, they're humble and they're always willing to learn. So once once you say you, you know it all, then it, that might be time to to go back to your other fire department or, or whatever it is or to, to hang up your helmet. Absolutely. All right. Well, then for people listening, then where can they find Firefighter Success and, and all the kind of other tools that you have out there? Yeah. So Firefighter Success, you can go to firefightersuccessbook.com uh, and you can have a free download there. There's 101, 101 rules for Firefighter Success. That's completely free download. That's basically a, a good preview of the book. Uh, you can also read uh, first couple chapters, uh, read the introduction from Captain Mark Von Oppen. Uh, you also read the foreword from Chief Jason Hovelman. Um, and check out the Firefighter Success Podcast. James, thank you so much for helping me get that started because uh, you definitely helped a lot with that. Uh, it's been a lot of fun and getting out of my comfort zone and practicing what I preach and learning more things, uh, a lot of things every day. 
Um, but, uh, and also I just want to make sure people know that, uh, a portion of each book purchase, you know, each book that is sold, it goes to first responder charities. So that's something that's important uh, to me. And I'm very passionate about, um, supporting our, our first responders because we're all in this together. Um, but as it pertains to firefighter functional fitness, you can go to firefighterfunctionalfitness.com and get that book there. Um, and I think I covered everything. Oh, social media. Don't forget about social media. I'm on social media with firefighter success. So that's at firefighter success on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And then you can also follow, follow firefighter functional fitness at, at firefighter F fit. So there you go. Brilliant. Well, back to the podcasting. So tell me what it's been like being the other side of the microphone. It's so interesting because, uh, Dan and I with firefighter functional fitness had been on, you know, uh, a lot of different podcasts and it's it's kind of fun that you get to share your passion about a, a certain project you have like like I'm doing right now with you um it's fun to do that but it's a completely different ball game when you are the podcaster you're the interviewer leading the conversation but it's been so rewarding just to have different people on with different um backgrounds and and different interests and passions and you know areas of expertise um but what's really fun to me is like doing the research and the prep for the podcast and really diving into what they're all about and, and finding what makes them tick and questions and certain things that interest them. Um, so that's been really rewarding to me is just to get to know people better and what they're all about and getting to hopefully share their message and, and, uh, what they're passionate about for other firefighters. So it's been awesome. So thanks for all your help and getting it up and running. Ah, oh, no problem. Well, I think that's the other thing is, as you said about humility is with this, we get to ask people. And I think the, the good interviewers that I like listening to ask a question and then be quiet. You know, the, the, the cringeworthy ones, which I don't listen to with the, you know, the, the, the guest is sitting there while the host is basically talking over him for three quarters of the, <laughs> <laughs> non-stop, of non-stop. the interview. Yeah. <laughs> so I have to, you know, rein myself in because I get on my little soapbox sometimes, but, <laughs> but no, but it is, it's such an amazing way to learn. And what I found with this is now someone be like, Hey, you know, I'm, I've been having some issues with my sleep with, you know, my back injury, whatever. Now you can be all right, I'm going to send you a link. And then boom, they've got yeah. an entire conversation that you just sent them for free that they can now reference. Right. And then they can really follow up and do a deep dive into that resource, you know, that you provided them with, whether, you know, like it's a sleep expert or whatever. You know, I'm sure they can reach out to them and that that certain individual can help them, you know, in a way maybe you can't, but you provided them with the right resource. Absolutely. All right. Well, then we talked about your book. Um, I asked you guys this this question, I think, uh, three years ago, but a lot of time has passed. So is there a book that you love to recommend? It can be related to what we've discussed or something completely different. Oh, man. Well, you know, I love to read just like you. Um, And so one book that has been so important to me is a book called Play the Man by Mark Batterson. Um, And I actually quote him in Firefighter Success. And the main quote I use for him is to basically uh, to paraphrase is to live a life to to the fullest. Right. We're not just here to go through the motions. We're not just here to to sit idly, but we're here to strive for excellence and, and put the put everything we got into life. So uh, he's a guy who's definitely str- uh, he's big on leadership and motivation. So any anything with leadership and motivation, that's what I like to read. Beautiful. And what about a, a film and or documentary? Ooh, um, a film or a documentary. Hold on. I got to think about this one. You might have to uh, cut out some of the dead space here. Hold on. No worries. <laughs> um. 
I haven't been watching too much uh, lately, and I haven't seen too many films. And we might have to circle back around that because I've been reading so much lately. So I got to <laughs> apologize for that one. No, no worries. All right. Next question then. Is there a person you recommend to come on this podcast as a guest to speak to the first responders, military and associated professions of the world? Uh, two of my favorite people, if you haven't already had them, are Doug Mitchell and Dan Shaw. And I'm not sure if you've already had them or not, but uh, Doug Mitchell's with FDNY, Dan Shaw. Uh, is with Fairfax County, and they wrote uh, 25 to Survive, um, which is published through Fire Engineering. Um, great book, and but also just great guys who get it, and uh, one of the most humble guys out there. So those are those are great guys if you haven't had them on. You know what? Someone recommended them recently. I forget who it was now, so I definitely need to. Cause oh, was, now, yeah, now it's a home run for you. <laughs> there we go. I have to do it. All right. Um, so then the last question, uh, what do you do to decompress these days? Oh, uh, I like to write. Um, I like to obviously record podcasts and, and that's doing the research and kind of the deep dive for myself. I like to just, I'm someone who likes to learn. So reading, um, you know, chopping wood, physical fitness, it's winter here and uh, it's 15 degrees outside in St. Louis. So I like splitting wood and just working with my hands uh, and, and staying busy that way. That's something I like to do to uh, decompress. And if I'm too still for too long, that, that makes me nervous. Some people like to, you know, relax that way. But I think if I'm too still for too long, that will actually qu cause more anxiety for me. So I'm always someone who's working on a project. So staying busy, but not too busy. And that's that's the balance in life. I think uh, we're all trying to find. Absolutely. All right. Well, Jim, I just want to say thank you. Another great conversation. Um, it was, you know, different dynamic completely because uh, it was you and Dan last time you were talking about the other book, but uh, some really interesting perspectives. I mean, the book is fantastic. And, you know, you, you obviously you have, again, humility to include other people's, you know, quotes and, and conversations in there as well. Um, so I can't recommend it enough. So thank you so much for taking the time to come on today. Yeah. Thanks, brother. Thanks for all your help and for your friendship. And it's it's been great to uh, get to know each other over the last, you know, four years or so. And uh, uh, looking forward to just continue supporting each other in everything we do. 